of angels. Some of them good, some of them not so good. The Bible says a lot about these angelic messengers who are used by God to protect and to preserve his covenant people. From Genesis to Revelation, we have lots of instances where there are angelic appearances. The book of Revelation is smothered in these kinds of events. Now we know that in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, that an angel was involved with Abraham wanting to get a bride for his son. Sarah had died. And in Genesis 24, Abraham told his servant, place your hand under my leg. Promise me you will not take a spouse from among the Canaanites. God wanted Abraham to have someone connected with him that would not be idolatrous in that regard. So the servant said, I will go back to your home country and bring somebody for Isaac. And he said to Abraham, sir, what if I go and she's not willing to return? Abraham said, my God shall send his angel before you. He'll prepare the pathway for their return. Well, that teaches a lot of different things because who would have ever thought that an angel would get involved with arranging a marriage or a union? Who would have ever believed that the person who may be in your life or is in your life at this time could very well be the product of supernatural intervention on behalf of God? We're moving at the behest of God. So the scripture is very clear in Genesis 24 that an angel can do God's bidding. will do it to help you. In Exodus chapter 23, we have a very interesting circumstance. The children of Israel, have, they've been delivered from Egypt. And the Bible says, as the Lord's talking with them in verse 20 of Exodus 23, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way to bring you into the place which I've prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you shall indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angels shall go before you and bring you in unto all these different nations. Notice again, the angel operates at the command of God. Notice the angel will help to keep the covenant people of God in a particular path. And notice the path has been prepared and the scripture says beware of him. And you can't beware of anything unless you're first aware of it. Now he doesn't say to the children of Israel, run around trying to figure out where he is or try to have a conversation with him. He just simply says, know that there is an angel that has been tasked with getting you from here to there. It's important to know. Well, we understand again from Scripture in Judges chapter 13 that 
there was a couple that wanted a baby. They were unable to conceive. And the scripture says this angel appeared to a woman and told her she's going to have a boy and that she's never to cut his hair, not to feed him strong drink or certain kinds of things. He'll be anointed and the spirit of God would be upon him. He later became known as Samson. Well, she went home, told her husband, said, look, I'm telling you, an angel just appeared to me and he told me I'm going to have a baby. So Manoah, the husband, according to Judges 13, verse eight, he goes and prays to God in what is one of the only instances I know of in scripture where he says, God, send the angel back to me. and Let him tell me what the angel told my wife. So again, Angels operate according to the will of God. They operate according to the command of God. And they bring information and they preserve and they protect. You say, well, all of those are connected with the Old Testament. Is there any times where Jesus had angels operating in his life? Of course. At his birth, they were in the heavens and they were singing. Forty days in the wilderness, the scripture says afterwards, the angels of God were there with him and ministered to him. Let's not forget that when he was making his way to Calvary, the garden of Gethsemane, it says in Luke that the angel of the Lord strengthened him. Now that episode is excised or deleted in modern versions of the Bible. I don't care if it's not in their Bible at all. It's in ancient history and it's in the text of the scripture. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, the angel was there to roll the stone away. And an angel was there inside the tomb to say, he is not here, but he is risen. And when he ascended, the angel of the Lord was there to tell the disciples, don't be afraid. Don't worry. The same Jesus that went up is coming back. Angels have constantly been involved with the ministry of people in covenant with God and people serving God. Well, what about then in the New Testament, the book of Acts? The Bible says the disciples, they were arrested, placed in incarceration, and an angel set them free and said, go back to the temple and preach the words of this life. Let's not forget that an angel of the Lord came to Peter while he was sleeping. A prayer meeting was taking place. In chapter 12, they were at the home of John Mark's parents, And as the prayer meeting was taking place, the angel appeared to Peter, set Peter free, led him outside of the city. And Peter went and knocked on the door and the lady named Rhoda answered the door and said, who is it? Peter said, Rhoda, it's me, Peter, open the door. She couldn't believe it. She screamed. It can't be. It can't be. They were all praying for Peter. God brought the answer there to the house, and they were startled. And you know what they said? They said, it is his angel. See, in ancient times, there was certainly the belief that angels were there to protect and to guard. The reason you hear people talk about guardian angels is because of the scriptures. So in Israel's history, God released angels. But let's remember Abraham could not command them. Moses did not command them. Neither did Manoah. 
I've been in many places when people pray, they try to release the angels to go bring the unsaved to church as if the angels have shackles on them and need to be set free. But God's divine messengers are not bound or constrained at all. They operate, as I said, on our behalf and at the behest of God. Now, Matthew 18, verse 10 tells us that the Lord says, this is Jesus now, he says, you be careful about how you interact with children because their angels behold the face of my Father in heaven every day. You ever thought about that? That your little child came into this world with a divine representative at the throne of God? That every baby, every toddler, every child has an angel that is assigned to him or to her. And Jesus said he's beholding the face of the Father. That's the scripture. And then, of course, I told you about Acts chapter 12. The multitudes of people have had encounters with these divine beings. The scripture in Hebrews tells us that sometimes an angel appears in human form. Remember that happened with Abraham. He was sitting outside his tent one day and a couple of gentlemen walked up to him and they were angels coming to let him know that Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain were going to be destroyed. They came and looked like people. I wonder how many of you have had events take place in your life where an angel of the Lord got involved and you weren't sure how it happened. Or maybe you had something divine that took place, where you knew immediately that it was an angel of God, maybe in a dream, maybe in a vision. It's amazing to me the number of people that call on the name of the Lord when they're in trouble, but when these things happen, we're very often startled by it. I recall an occasion... When I was planning my first underground church in Saudi Arabia, <clears throat> we had a, a young Filipino couple in that church who had gotten married. Now, in Saudi Arabia, it's against the law for anybody who's a worker there to participate in a Christian ceremony. And so the, the young man, Joel, he worked essentially as a an indentured servant, as did his wife, a maid for Saudi royalty. And they lived in a small little five by six room where they stayed. But they just cleaned and they ironed and they washed six days a week. But Friday nights is when we typically had church. And they come to the underground church. And, you know, Filipino people, they're only about four feet, ten inches tall, But, I mean, they'll dance the night away praising God, you know. I mean, services along with the Filipinos. We're talking three or four hours. And so we'd have some good services. But their masters discovered that they had secretly had a Christian marriage. And they were arrested. Now, if you come from Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sudan... Philippines, Guam, Korea, places like that, when you come into Saudi Arabia, they they immediately take your passport so that the people you're working for can control you. Now, I was working for the American consulate. I had a diplomatic passport. I was the only one in the underground church 
that could gain access to Joel. So I, I went and had talked to the right people and got an opportunity to go to this jail and visit him. And when I got there, they had him in a little cell that probably wasn't but about this high and then maybe about this wide. It had a little hole in it that went outside with some bars going in there. It was cold. It was damp. There was old food that was scattered over the floor. And there were mice that were crawling around in there with him. And when I saw him in there and he stuck his head out and saw me, I mean, my heart sunk, but his face lit up. Because he was happy to see somebody from the church. Now, we didn't know what was going to happen. Because, again, in Saudi Arabia, it's against the law to be a Christian. And they, they often behead people, or they export people, or they shoot people, whatever. They still did the stonings then. They still do the stonings now. And becoming a Christian and doing Christian things is a capital crime. So I had to hug this man, let him know we're all praying for him. We're trusting God for his release because we knew that the death sentence hung over his head. And the Filipino government wasn't strong enough to help him. So I went back, made a few phone calls, told the folks in the church what was going on. But suffice it to say, folks, I was discouraged. I really was. I, I just didn't think the whole thing was hopeful at all. And I remember that day laying down in my bed in the Marine house. And as I was laying there in the middle of that, that heat, I heard someone coming down the hall towards my bedroom from the dining room area. And in my bedroom, it just all of a sudden got really nice and cool in there. Just a comfortable, comfortable temperature. But what, what got my attention wasn't the fact that somebody was walking towards me, but in hearing them walking, it sounded like footsteps on a wooden floor, hard bottom shoes. And that hallway from the dining room to my bedroom was carpeted. So I lay there just wondering what in the world might be going on here. When I finally opened my eyes, standing before my bed was somebody in a giant giant white kind of an outfit that was glowing who leaned over and pointed at me and said be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and then turned and walked straight through the wall I said Lord have mercy I'm hallucinating out here but you know what we prayed and prayed and prayed and neither he nor his wife lost their life they were exported from the country, but the one thing I learned out of that is it doesn't matter how discouraged you are, God does know your address and he can reach you. He can reach you. He will minister to you. He will speak to you. So God has angels that come into the arena in order to bless you and to encourage you. Let me give you another story. A good friend of mine was a German guy named Siegfried. Before I came here, he labored down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in the church with us there. He was one of my closest friends, would have been one of my best men in our marriage had he not ended up out of the country at the time. Well, on Friday nights, we went street witnessing, and we'd all go out. It started at 7, kept going to 11. We preached the gospel to anybody that would listen, 
He was on one corner, I was on another corner. At the end of the night, we got together and shared the testimonies and stories of who we talked to. I told him about who I ministered to. He told me about some gentleman he met by the name of Harold. He said, I enjoyed talking with that guy. He even gave me his card. I said, well, that's wonderful, Siegfried. He said, we had a good night also. Well, I had to go preach. I don't remember where I was preaching in Louisiana at the time, but I got a call from his wife, Marika, and she said, Brother, <clears throat> Brother Darrell, I need you to pray. Can you come back? I said, what happened? She said, well, uh, Siegfried went down to the immigration center in order to fix our status for the upcoming year, and they arrested him. I said, really? I said, okay. I said, well, we'll be praying. And, and so... Uh, uh, meanwhile, Siegfried was in jail, and when they arrested him, all he had in his pocket was a, a Spanish and a Chinese Bible. Half Spanish with a Chinese translation. He and his wife, thank you so very much, he and his wife had trained thoroughbred horses in Spain before they came here to America, so they both were fluent in Spanish. So he called his wife and he said, look, Marika, he said, I'm here in jail, but, but I need you. We've got to contact somebody that can help us. And I don't know who to contact, but just look through all of the different business cards that I have. Look at for people you can talk to. She had called me because she knew I had worked for 32 months for the State Department. I didn't know anybody she could call. And so she ended up, uh, according to her husband, ended up finding this, this little card because she was going to use this man to try to maybe see if she could help her husband. And sure enough, she took the card and she found the number on there and she dialed the number. And when she dialed it on the other line, a lady picked it up and said, the White House, may I help you? Well, she was stunned. And the lady, my friend, Marika, said, the, the White House? She said, yes, this is the White House. How, how, how can I help you? She said, well, Harold gave me this, this card and said, if I ever, if we have some trouble to give a phone call. She said, Harold who? Said the card doesn't have a last name. Now, Harold, of course, we're thinking Harold, H-A-R-O-L-D. On the card, it was H-E-R-A-L-D. And so she said... I work here at the White House. There are over 1,500 people here. I know everybody that works in this place and comes in here. There is no herald. But she said, what's your problem? She told what the issue was. Siegfried was then out of the immigration site inside of 45 minutes. But you know what's amazing? In his pocket, he had that Spanish Bible with the Chinese translation in that immigration cell, they had placed him with one other inmate, and that was a Chinese man. And here Siegfried now had this Chinese Bible and had this Chinese man who didn't hardly know any English, but for some strange reason or another knew Spanish. And Siegfried said that he spent about 25 minutes explaining the gospel to this man in Spanish and using the Chinese translation. And when it was all over, he had led the man to Christ. You never know what God is doing. And sometimes circumstances that seem bad, they turn around and end up being good because of what God's doing in your life.
So God has angels that look after you. And I have no doubt since you're in a covenant with the king and have a better covenant than the folks in the Old Testament had, you can expect God to go out of his way to look after you. Can you say amen? Folks, you were born into a supernatural life. There's nothing ordinary about your existence as a Christian. God made it exciting to be young. God made it exciting to be old. Everything about the Christian life is involved with the supernatural. First of all, you're supernaturally born. That's what God does for you. On John chapter 16, verse 8, we learn then that the Spirit of God is at work. And we learn that he convinces and convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Think of that. Now, what is the gospel? Well, if you study the sermons of Peter in Acts chapter 2, you'll see that Peter speaks of Jesus of Nazareth. He emphasizes Nazareth because that's where Jesus was born. That's where the angel appeared. Then he talks about a man being approved of miracles. He knew that Jesus was different. He was a prophet. He was unique. But he also knew that according to the predetermined counsel of God, he died on the cross. That's the crucifixion. And Peter speaks of how he was raised from the dead. We're witnesses of that, Peter said. But he said he now is at the right hand of the Father exalted. That's the gospel. Concluding with the ascension. When we understand that by teaching that message, preaching that message, you give the Holy Ghost an opportunity to bring conviction to people. Because when they hear the story of Jesus and look at their life in light of the cross, God the Holy Ghost shows people where they are in connection with him. And the Spirit of God works inside of us, bringing conviction at times When we were in sin and even as Christians, because wherever there is evidence of guilt, the Holy Ghost brings conviction. And he never convicts unless there's evidence of guilt. The Spirit of God doesn't play with your emotions. He doesn't play with my emotions at all. When he puts his finger in your heart, if there's something there that he wants you to deal with, it doesn't matter how you turn Doesn't matter where you run, doesn't matter if you go to sleep, doesn't matter if you sit down or try to run like Jonah, that finger is on that very thing in your heart that he wants you to deal with. And until you repent, you're never off the hook. Never off the hook. So God the Holy Ghost brings conviction, and he's the one that brings into our lives These times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. We all need that from time to time. Titus 3 and 5 speaks of the washing and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So as a Christian then, when I move from sin into the kingdom, I'm regenerated. When you're regenerated, God gives you a new life. He takes that old heart, changes it, gives you a new Set of eyes gives you a new set of ears. Your senses change and develop. He gives you a new set of faculties. And this is why he says to Nicodemus, except you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Sinful people can't see what we see. 
I'm telling you right now, there's not a psychologist or psychiatrist that wouldn't love to have me on their couch because I hear voices and see things that they've never seen or heard before. And it's all because of the operation of the Spirit of God. When a baby comes into this world, it takes a little while for those eyes to form and for the colors to come to the place where they're actually going to be hazel or blue or green. But then at the same time with that little child, that child is learning how to associate voices and faces now. He's looking. She's hearing all of this. She knows now this, this is mama. I hear that voice. I see that face. This is papa. I hear that voice. I see that face. But that child is unable to articulate what it's thinking, what it's feeling. So what does it do? It cries when it needs attention. If it's hungry, it cries. If it, if it has, if it has some other problem, some discomfort, it cries. Well, we come into the kingdom of God. The Lord does the same thing for us. He gives you a new set of eyes, gives you a new perspective on life. And the Lord helps you now to discern the voices of this world and the voices of God. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying. Then the Bible helps us to associate those voices. But what do we do when we want God's attention? We cry out to him. This is why we pray. We pray because we want the ear of God. We want God to hear what we're saying. I promise you, you put any mama in, in a room with a whole bunch of kids and you let all the kids go to, you know, screaming and yelling and making all kinds of noise. I don't care if there's music going. There will be a time where a mother will stop if she thinks. She hears her child crying out for help. Because though she may know many voices, she knows that voice that comes out of her. See? She knows that voice she's given birth to. And God has millions upon millions and bajillions of people praying and calling upon him all the time. But don't ever believe he cannot distinguish your voice when you cry to him. He hears you. And when you're saying, oh, God, I need you to help me now. Don't think God isn't working behind the scenes to provide you with everything that you need. So this mighty Holy Spirit is the one that brings renewal into our life. He brings us the new birth. But again, in Acts chapter three, verse 19, times of refreshing. We all need those sometimes. We need the presence of God in order to put a smile back on our face. Sometimes life is cruel. Sometimes you're just tired from a very difficult week that you've had. And when you get together with the saints, you just really need the presence of God to invigorate you, refresh you, you see. And when that happens, God starts turning, helping you turn the corner of what you're facing in your life. But that's why the presence of God is needed. Do you realize you control the atmosphere of your house? You can put some Christian music on or put some word on and you can change the atmosphere and you can have peace in that house. If you'll play the kind of music that glorifies God now or, or you can play Metallica. And and you can play Grateful Dead and, and you can play any of these other people, but you can put on some Carrie Job. 
or, or some other Christian singers. And, and when you play them in the background, there's a totally different atmosphere that is created in that house and in that car. And, you know, most people that I've met that are sick or in the hospital and having difficulties. And when they're having problems, I've never seen a person yet say to me, Pastor, could you please find me some old Duran Duran tape that you can play while I'm sick? Never one time. Nope. Never one time. But somebody does want somebody to come and play some music because that's what is life changing. That's what encourages and that's what strengthens. When I was a teenager, late teens, I used to preach a message that was based on the title to one of these old thriller flicks from the late 60s and 70s. It was a, a, a movie, and the title I had for my sermon was Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. And I, and I talked about how when God saves you, and he brings you out of darkness and into light. The Bible says old things have passed away. All things have become new. All of that stuff now is under the blood and is buried. But do you realize there are a whole lot of people that have been forgiven by God for their past sins. But they are constantly out there digging them up again. Trying to remind everybody of what they used to be like. They say, well my life is a mess now because... You know, when I was a child, I was abused or I stole something and I never apologized. And they're constantly sitting out there in like in a graveyard and they got every instrument you can think of. And they're just overturning the soil so that they can hold up all of those old bones. My uncle mistreated me. My grandmother never did love me. I don't know why. My mom and dad loved the other kids, but didn't love me like they loved them. See, always holding that stuff up. And if you constantly look at that, you're going to live with depression. You're going to live in sorrow. You're going to live a life that is defeated and you'll never experience the victory that God has for you. But if you realize by the blood of Jesus, you are forgiven and the shackles of the past no longer are attached to you. You can be free. This is how renewal comes. This is how refreshing comes. And this is how I counsel people that constantly want to sing the blues about how bad their life was. Folks, I'm telling you right now, however bad you believe your life was, your youth was, there's somebody I can tell you about that had a life that was worse than yours. Yeah, I've, I've seen everything from parents on drugs trading their children for a crack pipe. I've seen people that have traded their spouses simply because they just wanted an updated version. I've seen people pull out, pull out sawed off shotguns and shoot people dead in the parking lot of a Dairy Queen. I've seen a whole lot of stuff with these eyes, but I never allow the past to hinder me. And it's not the plan of God for you to look at your life and say, I can't get over what happened to me in my past and what happened yesterday and what happened to my parents. And I'm never going to forgive so and so because of how they treated me. Then you're in bondage. But God doesn't want you playing with those dead things. Set them down, put the dirt back over them and walk forward into the new life that God has prepared for you. Or you'll never have victory. 
People that want to have a pity party over and over again never experience the times of refreshing that God has for them. So we come into the presence of the Lord and it's time to worship and you'll see people all around you worshiping and praising God and they're trying to enter in, but you refuse to enter in because you are going to meditate on what happened in your past. But if you want to be free, then you let it all go. You can't do anything about yesterday. You can do everything about tomorrow. And you certainly can affect the present right now. Sometimes when people have been abandoned, they end up in foster care. I've had a whole lot of children in foster care that we pastored. And they told me horror stories of how they've been treated. I'd listen. Sometimes we even weep and cry, put a hand over a shoulder. But by the time I'm ready to speak, when I have to talk with them, I have to let them know, you're going to have to let the past go. You're never going to be what God wants you to be as long as you're bitter and angry at those folks who hurt you in the past. Yeah. You think of the, the people who, who've been adopted across America. Then they go out in search for mom or dad to see why they were given up, only to discover sometimes that a mom or a dad, not even interested in them now, they've come back. And I've told people over and over again, no sense in being bitter about that. Be grateful that you have somebody that loves you now. And enjoy the blessings that God has for you. If you're born in a prison, I've met people like that. Mom went to jail while she was pregnant. Dad was already incarcerated. Born in a prison. And then from the prison, go, go into the system and raised angry, violent. Then sit down and minister to them and explain to them. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And the fact that you're still here right now. I have to believe there's something he wants to do. Folks, the scripture says, be very careful how we handle these little ones. Their angels behold the face of the father. I don't know what God has in store for each one of these kids or kids in other churches. But I do know this. I can affect the trajectory of a lot of people's lives if I simply keep with the book. And if I can convince people. That with every step you take, you're not taking it alone if you know God. But God is walking with you. Then it doesn't matter if you walk into a college classroom or go to your job. You know that when you get in that car, God has somebody riding there with you. Even when you seem to be all alone. Yeah, I proved that all across this world preaching the gospel in times of despair. I've been saddened. Prayed and talked to God. Plenty of times this past week, as sick as Tiffany was, got down, held her, we'd weep, we'd cry, we'd worship and praise God, but we knew there's a presence in that living room as we're worshiping God. You can change the environment just by worshiping God. Amen? There's no doubt about it, folks. You're a divine, supernaturally called and empowered people. Don't let the devil push you down. Let's all stand.
Praise the name of the Lord. I believe that God's plans and purposes for our lives are greater than anything we could ever understand. The idea that God would give us the ability to pray about other people's problems and affect their lives, I think that's powerful. I think that's powerful. That I can pray for Randy and Kathy. That on my knees in Red Cloud or here or Hayes or anywhere where I am, I can get on my knees and in prayer I can enter into their house and pray for them. I think that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And many of us have been upholden or upheld by other people's prayers. There have been plenty of times we've all probably had moments where we were at wit's end and probably curled up in a fetal position and just cried because there was nothing else to do. And then after a few hours or a few minutes, you kind of snap out of it only to realize later somebody was praying for you. And that's why your circumstances kind of change. So, Folks, believe what God says in his word that you are not alone. The Spirit of God is at work in you, almighty God. And that God certainly has an angel for you and for me. You don't have to try to figure out who he is. You don't have to try to run around here trying to have conversations with him like crazy people talk about doing. No, no, nothing like that. Just know that the scripture says the angel of the Lord encampeth about those who fear him. If you fear the Lord, raise your hand tonight. See, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. There's a, there's a large host. There's a large host attached to all of us. Let's pray. Father, when you think about all of us that are in here right now, you see every task, every challenge, every obstacle, and we have not given up. We are trusting you by faith. And when we look at the strategies and schemes of the devil, we are not intimidated. Because we know that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And Father, you said that we should be strong in you and in the power of your might. And thanks be to you that causes us to triumph in all things. So God, we know that you have predetermined and assigned victory for every one of us for every battle that we have to face. We worship you. We love you. And we praise you tonight in the mighty, mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. Yes, yes. We have an amazing God. And we're all an amazing people because we have an amazing God. Praise God. I want everybody to have a wonderful week, a blessed week. Remember Tuesday night. We'll be right back out here getting into the word of God. But folks, do not be discouraged. You've got too much help on your side to be discouraged. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.